Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Rishabh Jain, CEO and co-founder of Format, a content commerce platform that's raised over $12 million in funding. Rishabh, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, no problem. So before we begin talking about what you're building, could we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Totally. So right now, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Format, as you were saying. And in my past, I was actually a scientist. So I got my PhD in solid-state physics and then found my way in the world of ad tech. I worked at a company called LiveRamp for six and a half years, where basically we had a front row seat into how tracking happens in the digital world. So, you know, is this person on this laptop the same as this person on the cell phone, so on and so forth. And so when Apple made its announcement saying, hey, you can no longer track people from one website to another, we sort of were like the world's experts in understanding what exactly that means. And so from there, when that announcement happened, that was like the initial moment where I was like, okay, this is a huge change and this is the opportunity for me to go start my own company. And what was it like going through your head as you were starting the company? Was that scary to leave LiveRamp? LiveRamp's obviously a, a big company. I think a lot of people want to work there and I know you were very high up. You were, was it VP of innovation? Yeah, yeah. So I was actually building new businesses inside of LiveRamp. So I guess just really quickly on, on the first part of your question, was it scary to leave to start my own company? Actually, not at all. <laughs> so, so I had actually tried to quit a couple of times before. And one of the times when I tried to quit, that's when I was offered the opportunity to build new businesses inside of LiveRamp. And that's why I had that role was just, hey, if you're going to leave to start your own company, why don't you start new businesses inside of LiveRamp? It'll give you, you know, it'll scratch some of that itch, which it did. It was actually super fun to do that. And then, you know, after those businesses were scaling, that was the time when I said, hey, now I need to just go do this on the open market. Nice. That's awesome. A couple of questions that we'd like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick. So first one is what CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? So I'll give like one historical person, like I know him only through his books, this guy, Andy Grove. So he was the CEO of Intel and he thought about every part of the company as like a machine. And so if you read his books, like High Output Management or Only the Paranoid Survive, like you can tell that the way that this guy thought about the world was just, this is just a system that I need to inspect, figure out, correct, and then tweak in order to get the output, whatever I want it to be. So for me, that has been like a huge source of inspiration because I find that I relate to that way of thinking. He happens to also be a physics PhD, which, you know, helps with the relatability aspect. <laughs> but yeah, that's one person who I admire from like a historical context. And then if I were to say like, who's the CEO who I admire today, I think it would be, it's hard not to admire Frank Slootman. And I think the reason why I admire him is I heard him say this one thing one time that I like can never forget, which is like, if you're not excited about what you're doing, how are you ever going to get the other person excited? And he was describing a situation which sounds mundane, 
But that's what I think made it so memorable. So he was describing a situation where this person who was like responsible for making swag walks into his office and is like describing the t-shirt that they made for some event, right? And the way that they were describing that t-shirt, they weren't excited. And so like Frank Slootman's response was like, you don't sound excited about this t-shirt. If you're not excited, how the hell am I going to get excited? Like, why are you even telling me this idea? Right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, that is like such a good point, right? Like basically the ceiling of excitement is how excited you come across, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, that's somebody who I admire in like contemporary, basically contemporary CEO. Yeah. Yeah. He's such a fascinating CEO. And I just finished reading his book, Amp It Up. And it's so fascinating just to hear from someone who's still operating today. I feel like a lot of the books that you read are, you know, someone who was operating 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but it's not very common to find someone who's actually in the seat right now operating and executing. And it was just a a really good book and really enjoyed that one. Yeah. Yeah. I guess as you say that out loud, I'm like, man, how did this guy have time to, well, I mean, probably ghostwritten, but even ghostwrite a book, you know what I mean? So (laughs) for sure. Now on the topic of books and let's separate high output management and amp it up. What other books have had a major impact on you as a founder? Yeah, actually, neither of those, thankfully. So the book that has had the highest impact on me as a manager or as a leader is actually Long Walk to Freedom. So I find tons of inspiration from like historical political leaders or yeah. And so like I've read a bunch of like American presidential biographies, but Nelson Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom is one that it gives you insight into this like way of thinking about leadership that I think is unlike the way that is framed in most quote unquote business books, mm-hmm. because the way he describes situations in which he steps up to be the leader of that situation feels so organic. You know, it's like, yeah. And you know, these people, they asked me to represent them when talking to the prison guard or whatever it is. And it's like, The way he describes it is so collegial, but the situations he describes are so extraordinary, you know? And the reason I find that to be so inspirational is like half of being a leader is showing up and like, you know, asking for the ball, you know, like when you're playing basketball, the biggest difference between the players who are leaders on the court and those who are following is like, are you asking for the ball and are you comfortable having it? Right. And like that sort of like, You can see that in like such beautiful ways in the situations that Nelson Mandela was in while he was in prison. Yeah. How long are we talking? Because I'm always interested in reading biographies and then I'll look on Amazon and they're like a thousand or twelve hundred pages or the Rocket Miller book was like 32 hours on Audible and I was like seven hours in and it's like and then he, you know, entered the third grade. Like I can't can't do this. How uh, how long is this book? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's in that territory. It's in that territory. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you, man. It's like probably one of the longest books I've read. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, it's a favorite book, so I'll uh, I'll read it and I'll send you an angry email if it's uh, if it's no good. Actually, this is one I highly recommend doing the audiobook for, even though it's like a 30 plus hour audiobook. And so it like looks pretty intimidating because it's read by like the reading makes you really feel like you're immersed in the situation. It's very good. It's like... um. Do you know Trevor Noah's book? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when Trevor Noah reads it, it just feels totally different than when you're reading the actual physical book. This is one of those situations where the audiobook is definitely better than the physical book. Yeah. Nice. Well, I love it. 
Now let's switch gears and let's dive a bit deeper into the company. So can you just talk us through what the the product does and what the solution looks like? Yeah, for sure. So the product itself is actually a platform for commerce brands to build stores for every piece of content that they launch online. So today's world, the way that it works is like, let's say you're running a bunch of ads on Facebook. So usually you'll be running, you know, like anywhere between 20 to like 100 different ads on Facebook, all of them point to your website. Then you're running TikTok ads, all of them point to your website. You're running Google ads, they all point to your website. You're doing email marketing, you're doing SMS marketing and all of those different sources, like we're now in the hundreds of sources, all point to one website. And the basic thing that we do is just, instead of all of those hundreds of sources or pieces of content pointing to the same website, why not have each of them point to a site that is custom to that content? At first, that sounds like, okay, that sounds ridiculous. Like that's going to be tons of work, right? There's like hundreds of sources, hundreds of sites. But that's actually exactly the tech that we've built is all we need to know is the media that you're actually running. And we auto-generate full stores based on that media. And it automatically generates a store that is like custom to that media source. And then is like very easy for the consumer to transact. And so that's sort of what the tech does. And the reason it's useful is twofold. One is, of course, that when you actually have a custom store experience, the consumer is more likely to transact. And then the second is that the conversion event is now one-to-one. And so there's no ambiguity. Hey, if this person transacted, where did they come from? And so it solves this whole problem that Apple created when they said you can no longer track people by just creating a one-to-one situation between the actual content and the conversion. And how many pages on average is a a brand running then? Are we talking like 50 or 100 or 1,000 or 50,000? Like what is that rough number of pages that they would have? It's usually dozens. It's in the dozens. Yeah. Got it. And can you talk us through some of the types of brands that you're working with and any names that you can share? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we're working largely with like small, medium size D2C e-commerce brands. So think like a brand that's doing $10 million of sales every year. They're largely advertising on Facebook, usually it's in one of four categories. So food and bev, beauty, apparel, and home goods. And like, it's people like, I don't know if you know, like there's this noodle company called Goodles, which like Gal Gadot is associated with. So she like often talks about them or Hero Bread, like Tom Brady is associated with, like, you know, it's like the only bread he'll eat type of thing because of the way he maintains his diet. Nude, it's like a, you know, almost $100 million hair removal product, basically. So yeah, these are the types of brands that we work with. And what's the high level pitch that you're making to them? And what does that look like if we just boil it down into simple terms? Yeah. I mean, the simplest way I talk about it is that I say we give you the tech to make it possible to build a store that is native to every piece of content that you are running. And that's the main pitch. Yeah. And how do you define that then? Is that that term that I used at the start? Is that content commerce or how are you defining all of this? We actually call it like content native distributed commerce. So instead of everything landing you on one website, it's distributed to every source of content. So it's content native distributed commerce. That's like I know it's a mouthful, but 
that's the best that we've got so far. So, you know, maybe as I continue working with more marketers, I'll get better and better at describing it. (laughs) (laughs) And on the topic of marketing, is that you driving brand? Because when I was going through your website the other day, I was just very impressed with your branding. I know in the pre-interview, we were talking about, you know, what you have on the, the A there. It just looks cool. And you guys have done such a good job with branding. So where did that come from and how'd you make that such a big priority? I can't take any of the credit for that. So there was a woman who used to lead marketing for us, who is now doing like super amazing things. And she's the one who sort of drove the branding for the company as a priority because she knew that if we're going to interact with consumer brands, they view themselves as a brand mm-hmm. who consumers want to be attracted to. And so then they would feel seen if we're a brand who looks attractive as well. And so that's sort of what let, I mean, it was highly intentional. And I mean, she did a great job in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that. Looks great. And can you talk to us about numbers and metrics and just anything that you can share that highlights some of the growth that you're seeing today? Yeah, for sure. So I think like the most interesting thing that happened or the most interesting inflection point for us was last year in Q4. So basically what I would say is the journey of the company was one where, you know, like most companies year one, we were just sort of figuring out, hey, what exactly are we doing? What is the right product to solve this problem? And then in Q4 of last year, things really started to work. And so we went from doing what I would call like prickle amounts of GMV flowing through our pipes with our customers to like double digit millions in 12 weeks. So we had like 125x growth in that quarter. It was like really amazing. And then the priority last quarter became customer acquisition. So last quarter, we sort of 3x our existing customer base. And then this quarter, it looks like we might 5x it again. So, you know, it's like very early, but it's really, really rapid growth as like an early stage business. And do you have worries at all about the impact that a lot of these D2C brands are are seeing right now? I think totally. I've been reading some articles about them getting crushed. And I think Allbirds, that famous example, like What's their market cap at today? I know it's something insane. Under 200. And so is there concerns there for you? And if so, you know, how are you going to navigate that? And where would you go? Or you know, what types of brands would you sell to if it wasn't these D2C brands? All right. So I just looked it up. It's 173 million as of today. Um, the cap, uh, what was the, the high? Man, the high is, you want to know it's even sadder actually. I think the total raised is more. Yeah, the total raised is 205 million reported. So like currently the market cap is lower than the total amount of dollars raised. Yeah, it's honestly pretty sad. So does that make me worried? I mean, I think that there's two pressures that e-com brands are facing today. So first of all, like, am I generally worried about the health of e-com? I'm generally worried in the short term and generally extremely optimistic in the medium term. And the reason I'm worried in the short term is two things. One is that it's just true that e-com brands, the way that financial pressures appear for e-com brands is, you know, it's things like inventory and then like the payment cycle for doing customer acquisition. Those things apply a lot of pressure to those businesses. And when interest rates go up, it increases the pressure on those areas, right? So that's been something that's like, you know, sort of out of our control that we are cognizant of and and we want to work, make sure we're good partners to our customers. In terms of like the health of our business, I think the main thing that we seek to do is where we want to make sure that once you buy our product, your performance goes up in a dramatic way. 
And so luckily, we don't enter situations where our usage or our pricing or anything like that becomes a problem because the performance is so good of our product that it doesn't become an issue. But I do generally worry about like the health of e-com overall and the likelihood of more e-com businesses being born because of the current environment. Now, the reason I'm midterm optimistic is, you know, I think a lot of this will settle in the next 12 months. And then I think there will be no choice but for people to reinvest in online experiences. And I think those online experiences are going to be even more magical, just given like this whole new set of tools that we've been sort of like, <laughs> like granted on our lap with AI, right? And it's just, I think it is highly unlikely that we don't see like massive resurgence of online shopping that is facilitated by what these AI tools are offering. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. And... Are you trying to, or do you have plans to try to break into more of like the Fortune 500 companies, so like Procter and Gamble and their 9,000 brands or however many brands that they have under their under their company? Are there plans to move up market into those types of brands, or is that sweet spot for you going to be these D2C brands? I think it'll be a mix. I love working with independent D2C brands. I love it. The fulfillment that it gives me is so deep, it's like really hard to explain because, you know, you kind of know everyone almost at some of these companies. It's like, you know, 10 person company doing a hundred million dollars of business. Like these are super efficient businesses and they can grow very fast. And so it's like the joy of working with companies like that, that can move incredibly fast, who are growing super fast. That's like awesome. Right now. It is also true that you just get way more scale when you work with enterprises. And so from a business perspective, absolutely, it's important to us. And look, just to be honest, there's a bunch of D2C brands underneath these parent companies, right? So like Native got bought by P&G, for example, like that sort of stuff keeps happening. And so there's a bunch of like really sort of nimble teams that live inside of these larger organizations that would be really good customers for us to work with. Now, I'll just be honest and say, like, you know, I think that there is a trade-off. Like, you want to make sure that when you're working with these large enterprises, you want to make sure that they're going to be nimble enough that it makes sense to spend the time to work with them, right? So that's something I'm very comfortable saying out loud. And, you know, when I have enterprise meetings, I, I do actually ask directly to make sure that's a good use of both parties' time. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I see on the site there in some of the case studies, you just have some really impressive metrics. So one that jumped out to me was a 30% decrease in CPA. So it just really seems like a no-brainer to work with you guys. So what's holding brands back, do you think? And what's preventing you from you know closing hundreds more deals or thousands more deals or just getting more and more brands? Totally. There's three things. The first one is that the brand actually does need to prioritize acquisition through social channels. And if they don't, then it's just not relevant, right? So like if you're prioritizing retail or organic or something else, then it's just not a priority. And then it's obviously not a good fit. The second is that within your paid acquisition, even if we're able to like substantially increase your performance, if it doesn't actually change 
your total margin profile to one in which you can reinvest, it doesn't work at the end of the day, right? Like at some point, like, you know, we are an accelerant to the business, but we can't change things if there's like fundamental issues, right? And so for that reason, like people will discontinue. And then the third one is just like a prioritization mismatch. And again, this is like a situation where like your customer acquisition through social channels is probably, you know, call it 20% of your spend, but let's just say, hey, your biggest priority is actually not new customer acquisition. Let's just say your biggest priority is like retention and increasing average order value. Well, guess what? It's like, you're not going to spend the time to figure out how to use our tool to be effective. And so then you're not going to use us, right? So those are the three big buckets that generally lead to a brand not working with us. There's under 10% of cases where it's because of performance issues with the product. That's extraordinarily rare. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And what have you done right to rise above the noise, do you think, and, and really capture the attention of these brands and earn their trust? Because I feel like with COVID, when everything was moving online, there was just a big boom of e-com tools and platforms and products that got funded to try to serve D2C brands. So what have you gotten right to rise above the noise and, and earn that trust? I would just say, actually, it's because right now, most of our customer acquisition is happening through referral. So the biggest reason why I think that we've been able to like connect with some of the brands that we're working with is, you know, the product really works with a handful of customers and, you know, like our initial set of customers then started to refer us and then that set started to refer other people, so on and so forth, or like their friends found out. And so it's that referral based mechanism that has really, really worked. And I think that that's the primary thing is just the trust in that refer, hey, this thing really works for us. You guys should try it out too. And on your website, I see that there's something coming, something exciting coming in May. Do you want to just give us a high level overview of the product that's going to come out? Yeah. So this is sort of what I was referring to earlier, where I think there's going to be like a new growth wave that's coming to shopping online. And that growth wave, I think, is primarily going to be powered by the fact that, you know, with AI, you can just like create such interesting ideas and like you're truly limited only by your imagination. <laughs> so we've been playing around with it internally and you can do things like, hey, customize this store to make it look like it's an 80s themed store. Make it feel like a Mother's Day themed store. Make it feel like you know, it's futuristic and, you know, like cyberpunky. And the thing that I think people underestimate is like when you do that and you feel how that digital shopping experience is just changes in front of your eyes, it's just like, that is cool. I literally have never seen the store like that until we started generating it. And I was like, this is amazing. And then I started to realize like, actually, this is not dissimilar from a brand like creating a pop-up shop that is themed, right? And that's exactly how I think about it. It's like, hey, we make it trivial for you to create a themed pop-up shop. So we're not saying that you should go off brand, just to be clear. Like we think your branding elements are super important, but that doesn't mean that you don't decorate the store for Mother's Day or for Valentine's Day or for Halloween or for, you know, like you don't, that doesn't stop you from decorating a store in the real world. So why does it stop you from doing that in the online world especially now that you can do it generatively. And it's just 
amazing the types of things that you can see and like that's just like one example there's so many other things that you can do when it comes to like using these gen ai tools and and creating unique shopping experiences i don't you know we'll continue to push out products but you're going to see a very large suite of interesting store experiences from us over the next six months is there one that comes to mind that just like the coolest craziest thing that you've seen so far or maybe even just like an idea that you've had of, hey, this could be possible. Yeah, there's one example that I did, which is just like, that was like really fun to do, which was making it funny. Okay, so like, it doesn't sound like this would be interesting. You know, it sounds like, you know, like something like cyberpunk or whatever would be more interesting, but making it funny is actually way more interesting. So let's just say your ad is like, you know, kind of humorous or whatever. You still land on a landing page that's like somewhat sterile, right? It's just like, hey, here's the product information, here's like the length, width, height, yada yada. And then mm-hmm. you like use AI tools and you say, like, hey, rewrite this so that way it's funny in the tone of Jerry Seinfeld, right? <laughs> and then now you're like, imagine going to like Amazon and you're reading a product description and it's like, you know, the whole thing is like you feel like you're in a Jerry Seinfeld episode. Like now you're like in a good mood and you still got all the information and you're like laughing and it's like. I mean, what a great moment to get the person to hit buy, right? Like they're feeling good. They're in a good mood. They got their in- the, the info they need. That's all you want, right? And so it's like that one was like actually magical when I said like make it funny. Yeah. And so that's the type of stuff that I think people are really going to be shocked by is like I think people are going to be shocked by how effective some of this stuff is going to be. Amazing. I love it. Now, last question here for you before we wrap. Let's zoom out three to five years from today. What's the future of the company look like? Yeah. I mean, if we're going that far out, like a three to five year time horizon, I think that the company's going to end up becoming like the way that we do direct and distributed interactions online. So, you know, like right now we're focused on e-commerce and we're saying like, hey, we're going to make it possible for you to do direct distributed e-commerce. But our infrastructure is set up to support any sort of online interaction. So you can imagine like, hey, I want to have a native customer support interaction. I want to have a native sales interaction. I want to have a native chat interaction. I want to have a native information retrieval interaction. And so it's like, how do you do that across every interaction point you have on the internet? And like, we really, really want to be a company that creates a way that you can do native distributed interactions across the consumer web. And it just so happens to be the case that, you know, these first two to three years are going to be focused on e-commerce. And then you're just going to start seeing us expand into other verticals. Amazing. I love it. Unfortunately, we are up on time. I'd love to keep you here and keep asking you questions, but we'll have to save that for round two. Before we wrap, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build and execute, where should they go? Yeah. So the easiest place to find me is I'm just Rishabh M. Jain on either Twitter or LinkedIn and very active on both. So please hit me up. Awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk about what you're building and talk through everything. This has been a lot of fun and we wish you the best of luck in executing on this vision. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Yeah, no problem. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.